Morning, church. Morning. It sure is uh, good to be back. Uh, my name is Brandon Bachtel, and they give me the privilege of being uh, an elder and a senior pastor here. And uh, some of you are like, yeah, you look very similar to the guy that I saw not too long ago. Well, his name is Cody King, and he's our Edgewood campus pastor. So we do get confused every now and then. But I actually... I have been blessed to be on a sabbatical for the last uh, couple of months, and uh, actually, I can't remember, but I think it was like 9, 10, 12, 13 weeks ago uh, since I've actually stood on this stage and taught. And so it is a pleasure to be back and um, look forward to, to hanging out with you guys um, over the coming weeks as we talk about marriage. And we've titled, titled this uh, kind of cleverly, For Better or Worse. And I know a lot of us in this room would have rather it just been for richer or richer. Um, <laughs> but the deal is, is that marriage is difficult. And uh, we're going to dive off into that subject in a few moments. Uh, before we do, I want to just publicly thank uh, our church family uh, just for the time that you did bless me with. Uh, a pleasure to to be able to encourage my kiddos along the way, spend lots of time with them this summer. Uh, we rode bikes, uh, we went to the beach, we went hiking, we uh, just, man, just lived it up. And we loved each other well, and it was just a pleasure. Then they went back to school, and then uh, I got to start working around the house. And that was a pleasure too. Uh, it was freeing of my mind, and it was refreshing to my soul. And uh, thank you so much for just your generosity to me and my bride and our family. Uh, it was much needed, much welcomed, and uh, much appreciated. Uh, before we dive in, uh, let me uh, pray for us and uh, just want to say thank you. I also want to welcome our Edgewood campus. Uh, it's a joy to be with uh, them today, though not in person. Uh, having them join us is, is awesome. We got to see them quite a few times over our break and I certainly love and appreciate what God's doing there. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, we love you, and thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, just for the opportunity uh, to teach your word. Lord, I don't take that lightly, and certainly pray that you would use it for your glory and the good of all of us in this room and all of us joining together this morning, whether it be in person or online or on another campus. Lord, may you... Use your words the way that Isaiah said, that they would not return void. God, may your power um, move forth, not because of a person named Brandon, but a person uh, named the Holy Spirit that changes lives. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, many years ago, I bought a helicopter. It was a Volatation 28-inch. looked a lot like this one right here. Matter of fact, that's almost the exact replica. Now, I bought this thing probably about 15 years ago. And just if you know a little bit about me, um, if, if I buy a grill and it comes with instructions, we're not going to look at the instructions. We're going to put the grill together, and however it works out is going to work out, okay? You can call it pride. I like to call it stupidity. Uh, but the reality is that's just how I roll. I've always been like that. And the reason why, just to be straight up honest, it has nothing to do with pride. It has to do with swiftness. I'm just not very patient. I want, I want it pretty quick. Well, I bought the Volatation 28-inch, and uh, I, I managed to kind of look at it because I knew that when I bought this helicopter that it had, it had to be aligned and it had to be calibrated so that when it fly, it wasn't all super awkward. And so I, I bought this, you know, helicopter, flew it for, you know, a couple of weeks and then landed it in a tree and it was done. Like there was no repairing it. I wasn't even going to try to repair it. That's 
really kind of before you could go find everything on YouTube to fix it. But then after, uh, you know, I had that when I was at first Monday with my bride, you know, we, we were buying plants and all different stuff. But then I came across the Volatation 28-inch again. <laughs> this time, though, I had a son. He was about four years old. Uh, that was Brady. Caleb was a little bit younger. He's about two at the time, so he, was, he could care less about it. But Brady was pretty interested in it, and so I was like, hey, we got to do it. And we kind of have a rule in our house, like, hey, if it's $100 and under, like, you can just buy it. So it was about 100 bucks, and I was like, we're doing it. Mama will be fine with it. And so we bought it, and uh, take it home, and, and here's the deal. If you know this about me, you know we didn't spend a whole lot of time reading instructions. We calibrated it, got that done, and then we're flying. Brady's loving it. Of course, he can't wait to have the remote. And we fly it for about 20 or 30 minutes. And I'm like, okay, this is going pretty well. The problem was, is that then we had the descent. And when it was descending, it crashed. And when it crashed, it took the propellers and it broke part of the, I don't know what you would call it, but makes it rotate around. And here's the challenge with that is that after 30 minutes of owning the Volitation 28-inch and $100 it was down the tube, okay? Would not work anymore. So now Brady's disappointed. And catch this, mama knows we bought it, but mama hadn't even been home yet. So she's gone and doing a couple errands after we get back and it's broke already. And she's like, are you kidding me? Like this thing is already broke. And I'm like, yes, it's toast. Okay, so here's what I do. I take the helicopter and I put it up in our closet. And it stays there, not for just like six days, not just six weeks, but like six years. And Brady would oftentimes ask, hey, Dad, are we going to, like, you going to work on that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get around to that at some point. I'm going to work on it. And probably with a YouTube video, a toothpick, and a couple other things, maybe 10 bucks, I could have fixed this thing. But the way I'm wired is, is like, no, like, let's just throw it away and get another one. And so we eventually moved houses, and the Volitation 28-inch has been sitting up in the closet. Looks brand new. Doesn't work. I fixed it, right? No, I throw it in the trash. And so it's gone. It's in the trash. And then I have no more Volitation. Now, you might ask the question, why are you even telling me this story? And, and here's why. It's because I'm, I'm wired to kind of think that about relationships. And I don't know where you learned marriage from. Maybe you would look and you would say, well, I learned marriage from my parents and they were a great example. Or maybe you would say, well, it was from my grandparents and they were a great example. Maybe it was not anybody in your family. It was a friend and you went to their friend's house and you saw marriage from that perspective. You go, that was the best example of marriage that I knew. Maybe it was the bachelorette or the bachelor. And when it came out a little over 20 years ago, you're like, you watched every season and you thought, man, this is the way it ought to be. Either way, you and I have this idea of what marriage was. And though I saw marriage modeled in my home, I very much saw marriage to my bride as the Volitation 28 inch. It was new, it was exciting, but over time, it's really easy to kind of put a shelf life on it and to not work real hard on it, and, and to, in some ways, not spend the investment that it takes to keep, keep it going. And that is the challenge that I just want to encourage you with today, is that there is a design of marriage, and, and God's got a plan for your marriage, and He desires for us to honor Him at all. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to spend a great amount of time talking about what marriage is and about what it should be. 
And I get it. You're in the room. You're like, well, I'm, I'm single. I'm not married. I'm already disinterested. Or maybe you're here and you're like, well, I'm recently divorced and it's painful and I don't want to talk about marriage. But here's what I want you to understand. is regardless of where you are, whether you're single, whether you're engaged, whether you're newly married, whether you've been married a long time, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, this message series is for you. Yes, we're going to ta- we're going to tuck some practical tips along the way, but if you can resonate and allow your heart even today to understand the meaning of marriage, it'll bless you in every area of your life. And the reason why is because you'll get to see the design of marriage and ultimately you'll get to see how it's displayed. And so if I had a kind of a message title, it would simply be this, the directive the design, and the display of marriage. And we see that Paul gives us this idea, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it to the church of Ephesus. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, Paul is going to explicitly talk to the church of Ephesus about the idea of marriage. Now, if you don't have a Bible to turn to today, listen, we would love to bless you with the Bible on either campus. All you got to do is find one of our staff or even one of our serve team members. Just say, hey, I don't have a Bible. I need one. We would love to bless you with one today. Now, maybe you have your Bible uh, you know, with you and, uh, and, you just like, or, and you're ready to dive in. I encourage you to take some notes. Uh, husbands, it'll be especially meaningful to you to take a couple of notes, okay? Okay. Um, if you didn't have, you have a Bible, you didn't bring one today, we'll put for, for you up on the screen some things that you can take note of. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes these words to the church of Ephesus, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, he uses this word, and it's a word that, ladies, you have heard before in your life. Uh, whether it was a a guy joking uh, and saying, hey, woman, your job is to submit. Uh, maybe you heard that from a pastor on stage trying to make a funny joke. Um, maybe you've heard that from a man who was very serious. Either way, I would imagine that if you're a lady in the room, you, when you hear this word, it can bring a mixture of emotions and feelings. Maybe some of you are here and you're like checking out something for the very first time. You saw that there was a marriage series, you're like, I'm going to go. And then you're like, oh, here we go. I've heard this one before, and you're already kind of cringing in your seat. Can I just encourage you to hang with me just a bit, okay? And the reason I want you to hang with me is because this this passage doesn't just include wives. It also includes husbands in a few moments. But here, Paul does explicitly say the words submit. And the word there, submit, is the Greek word hupotasso. It means to come under subjection. It literally implies the idea of arranging yourself under. It's a military term that would help you note that in military front, you're going to have offices. And there is going to be the idea of submission among those offices. And so Paul uses a word that in that culture would have certainly rang true to submission, meaning order and arrangement. So wives, you're to arrange yourself under your own husbands. And then there's a very fitting phrase there that says, as to the Lord, which is incredibly important. And the reason why that's important is, is, is that you submit yourself or you arrange yourself under your husband's leadership as you would to the Lord. 
meaning that you would submit yourself to the Lord first and foremost before you would submit yourself to a husband. Now, really quickly too, when you see the word husband there, it literally means husband, male husband. Now, the reason I say that is because, ladies, I think you got to be careful that you understand that some of this doesn't necessarily fall under a dating relationship that doesn't honor the Lord. And so maybe you're dating and you think, well, I've already have to submit myself in this relationship that is not honoring the Lord. And I would say, hey, that's a clue to you that you, you, could, you could really take some observation of that. Why? Because this, this right here in context happens after you have yoked yourself to a husband. But more than that, it's only possible as you ladies submit yourself to the Lord. So in reverence to the Lord is the key. But listen, let's just be honest. Isn't that the key for all of us? For instance, I have a a problem submitting myself or yielding myself to any authority, especially if I'm not submitting myself to the Lord. So I think the point is in this is that you and I, male or female, child, son, daughter, doesn't matter. We are going to struggle to submit ourselves to anyone if we are not continually submitting ourselves in reverence to Christ daily. See, the key is this, is that if God is not supreme in your life and you're not submitting yourself to him on a daily basis, then what's going to encourage you to submit to anyone? I mean, you're, not, you're going to struggle to submit to your boss. You're going to continue to struggle to submit to local authorities, government authorities. That could be a police officer. It could be a local municipal around your taxes, whatever it is. At the end of the day, our hearts are wired in such a way because of the fall to push against authority in our lives, which is one of the reasons that when we read this text, women, you are to subject or submit yourselves to your own husbands. One of the reasons that might push a nerve for us is because we may have a contextualization issue. We may have some things out of context, out of even line here. And so it begins with you submitting yourself to the Lord, then to your husband. And as you submit yourself to the Lord, then your husband is easier to follow. It then goes to say the reason why. And so in this directive of marriage, which you see, it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So he gives the example. He goes, okay, here's the directive. Ladies, you submit yourself to your husband as to the Lord. And here's why. Because Christ is the head of the body and the church submits itself to him as the head of the body. So he gives that example. Verse 24 goes on to say, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The point is simply this, is that a wife should submit to her husband as the Lord. Why? Because Jesus submitted himself to the Father and ultimately serves the church and submits himself to the Father. So wives, you should submit yourself to Christ and to your own husband in everything. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 25. You see the directive of marriage doesn't just include ladies, it includes husbands. Husbands, 
you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you see that Paul is talking about the emphasis is not merely on wives submitting to a husband, but it's also very much got husbands in view. Husbands, you are to love, and that word there is a form of agape love. It implies a love that is deep and affectionate and simply a very fond love. And it's one in which Christ ultimately had for the church. How did Christ have that and display that for the church? He gave himself up for her, the church. So here's the implication. The directive of marriage is the key. That's what's in view. And he goes, wives, you're to submit yourself to the husband. Husband, you're to love your bride. But here's what I want you to see. The directive of marriage and ultimately the directive of Christ, I'll put it for you up on the screen, is simply this, a life of submission and service. It's a life of submission and service. And then you might ask yourself the question, well, okay, well, what do you mean a life of submission and service? Well, it's what's modeled by Jesus himself. So think about this. Jesus is in view in this passage. It's not namely just husbands and wives, but husbands and wives every time are put up against, in view, this person named Jesus. And so I want to just show you If Jesus is in view in this text as much as a husband and a wife is, why is Jesus in view and what did he model for us? And so look at the model that Jesus had when it came to submission and service. Let's first look at submission. I think you would see submission found very clearly in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane here. Jesus is about to be captured by Roman authorities. Jesus is going to be scourged, and eventually he's going to be led to the cross. But it is in this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane that you see the life that that Jesus had and led of submission. It says this in verse 39, And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is the point here? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be captured. He's about to lose his life. And if you know anything about the New Testament, we know that Jesus is the Messiah from Israel and he's going to lose his life because ultimately Jesus said that he came to lose his life for sinners. Jesus came to die on the cross in agony to take the place of sinners. But here it is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes, Lord, if there be any other way, like if you could establish any other pattern in your finite and or I mean in your infinite wisdom, then Lord, would you do that? But if there's not another way, then I'll drink the cup of wrath. And he submits to his father in perfect obedience. So Jesus shows you the ultimate picture of con- coming under the arrangement of even the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus submits to the Father willingly. Lord, do I have to drink this cup? Okay, if I do, then I will. And that's a life of submission. But friends, it doesn't stop there. Jesus also modeled a life of service. Now, how did Jesus serve? Well, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said it himself. These words in verse 28. He says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, he also came to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So Jesus shows us submission in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he shows us service by giving of his own life. That's why Paul wrote to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Look what Paul writes about Jesus. And then he encourages the Philippians, and I think us, to have the same mind as Christ. Look what he says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, there's a couple of things that as you were to read that scripture, you would see in service. Service means I don't, Jesus didn't count equality with God something to be be grasped. So though Jesus is fully God, just as the Father is fully God, Jesus says, I gladly submit myself to the Father's leadership in my life. And then he subjects himself in service to the Father. He emptied himself. He became a servant. Where do we get the word servant from? Service. He served us by willingly coming to be born in the likeness of men, meaning he came to earth, he identified with us in every way, he was tempted as we are, the only difference, he didn't sin, but then he took and he placed all the sin of people upon his own shoulders and he served us in death. Now here's why I tell you that. Ladies, a life of submission means as I follow God fully, I'm willing to arrange myself under my husband, because it honors the Lord. Men, you and I are to be a picture of Christ who willingly serves. And service doesn't demand submission. Actually, service submits just as equally and then dies. Now, here's the reason I say that. Ladies, lean in with me, okay? The next time some old man looks at you and goes, woman, you're supposed to submit. I guess you could just say, you know what? You need to go die. (laughs) And it works. It works. It absolutely works. It's a fulfillment of Scripture. It helps you understand the placement of what God desires. It works. Which means, as men in this room, we got to be real cautious about the joke. And here's why. Because the directive of marriage is very clear. The directive of marriage is the directive of Christ. It is a life of submission and service. And as you see that, it it moves to the design of marriage. Let me show you the design of marriage, and we pick up on that in verse 26. The design of marriage, as you build onto a life of submission and service, is this, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, of the water with the word. Now, when he's talking about sanctify her, we, we can see that, that Paul is moving in and out of this ideal of marriage and the church, about what it looks like for a husband to love his wife and a wife to respect and honor and ultimately submit to her husband. But all the time, he's also talking about this profound idea of what's happening within the church. And he goes, the reason that Jesus died, verse 26, is that he might sanctify. And he uses this word, hagiazo, which literally means to consecrate or set apart. So the reason Jesus died was to take sinners and to set them apart, to give them a new identity, to cleanse them. 
he even uses the word cleansed there. And he talks about her, meaning the church. He's talking about the church. He goes and cleansed her. And he uses the word catharizo, which literally means to make clean. It's to, def- to take any defilement or impurity and to remove it. So the reason that Jesus died was to take you and I, the church, and to make us set apart, consecrated, and clean. So it's a process, right? Jesus dies for us. He changes our life. And then we are to become cleansed. Now, how does Jesus cleanse us? Well, Paul says that we're cleansed, and he uses the word her by the washing of the water with the word. And the word washing there is the word of the Greek lutron, which literally means a bathing in the word. So when you bathe yourself in the word, then your life is becoming conformed. Conformed to what? The pattern of your old self? No, the the pattern of your new self made in the image of Christ, the one who died for you. And so the key here is simply this. It is that you would... You would be washed in the water of the word so that he, meaning there's a purpose in this, that, that you see the directive of marriage, a life of submission and service, but the design is that there is a purpose for submission and service. What is it? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What? Christ died not merely to give you an escape from a place called hell. That's not the reason. You don't see any any indication of that here. What is Paul saying? He goes, listen, the reason, that's awkward. (laughs) Hashtag awkward. The reason that Christ died, we needed a little excitement. It's getting tense, right? The reason Christ died was not merely to save us, but to sanctify us, to change us from the inside out, to make us clean and pure and blameless without blemish, meaning that the closer we get to heaven, the more we look like our Savior. I already told myself, I'm not going to preach. This is my first Sunday back, and I'm like, I'm just going to teach the text. But can I just say one, like, quick thing? Listen, if, if the directive in marriage is submission and service, and let's just say the marriage is also a display of, of the church, then wouldn't you think, friends, the older we get, the more we live a life of submission and service? But the American church has flipped it on its head and basically said the older we get, the more people submit, should submit and serve us. And I don't see that in the text. It doesn't say the older I get, the more people should submit and serve us. It means the older I get, the more I should submit and live a life of service. Two totally different things. Which is one of the reasons that if you look at this text, the importance and the emphasis that the church should place on a life of service is because that is the directive of Christ, not only in your marriage, but in the local church. It is a life of submission and service, submitting to those that you live under and service to those in need. Everything in your flesh will push against those things. You will push against God's directive and even his design unless you understand that the design is there for a purpose. He goes on and he says this, In the same way, 28, husbands, you should love your wives 
as you love your own body. So, so there is the design. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So you see this weaving in and out of marriage in the church. I mean, as you're reading, you're like a little bit confused. He's talking about the church. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about the church, marriage. Oh, he's talking about the church here. It doesn't apply to my marriage. No, he's talking about the church and marriage. Everything he says here applies to the church, and everything he says here applies to marriage. Maybe not your marriage. Maybe others' marriage. At the end of the day, it, it all applies to marriage. He then does this. It, it matters because Christ obviously loves the church, but verse 30 then says, because we are all members of his body. And then he gives this, the prime example, verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, what's interesting, the word there, hold fast, in the Greek literally means glue. So what God joins together, man should not separate. Jesus said that himself. Why? Because ultimately, the directive of marriage leads to the design of marriage. Now, you might wonder, well, okay, the design of marriage, submission and service, how does that even apply, and, and where's the practicality of it? Can I just give you the practicality of it real quick? Let me start with ladies, a life of submission. What does that look like? Well, here's what I would tell you. I think that Paul hits it perfectly. Obviously, he's led by the Holy Spirit, so it's going to be perfect. But when he says subject or submit your wives or wives submit or come under your husbands he makes clear to say as fitting to the lord as you serve the lord i would say this a life of submission starts with your relationship with christ if you revere christ then you can revere your husband if you don't revere christ quite frankly you won't see the need to revere anyone let alone your husband. So the thing that brings all this into view is that you would revere Christ. And as you revere Christ, listen, Christ leads in the life of submission. He willingly gave his life down for a sinner. What's he calling you to do? He's calling you to, in the same way, emulate him as he submits to his father and encourages you to do the same as he did. So Christ is not calling ladies any one of you to do anything that he has not already demonstrated for you. He's calling you to that because at the end of the day, revering Christ leads to glad submission. And as you gladly submit to your husband, it is most probably well produced through respect. Respect goes a really long way. That's really ultimately what your husband desires. Don't believe me, I haven't showed you this, but you could just go down to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. We're going to get there in a second, but you're going to see very clearly, Paul says, hey, you're to respect your husband. Why? Because your husband needs respect. Now, real quick tip, I'm just, you might want to write this down. You think your husband needs love. And so you give him love. You pack his lunch. You send him out the door with everything he needs. You're like, I love you, baby. You give him a kiss on the cheek. cheek. No, no, no. He doesn't need love. He needs respect. Your husband, ladies, think you need respect. But you don't need respect. You need love. And from the beginning of time, we've been flipping those things. And it's been a real challenge. Why are they flipped? Because Genesis chapter 3 said they would be. 
There's going to be a desire for a woman to rule over, or there's going to be enmity between the relationship. That's a part of the curse. So when the fall of men happened, we have distorted these roles and orders. And you think, I love my husband really well. Yes, but you don't respect him. And he respects you really well. You talk about my wife, I'm going to take you to the back alley. And he's willing to fight for you. Can I just give you the best picture of that? I know. It's the young boy in the playground who says, don't talk to my mama that way. But then he talks to his mama the way he wants. Friends, that's what America is. That's what the local church has become. It is, I'm going to talk to them the way I want, but you better not do that. And that's the challenge. And so when Christ is calling you and I to a lifetime of submission and service. The reason why is because your husband's ladies need respect. More than he needs love, he needs respect. And you show respect in the best way possible by being an adequate helpmate. My wife, can I just be honest with you? She makes me look like a rock star. I'm not a rock star, but she fills in all of my gaps. And I have a ton of them. Don't believe me, just ask her. She'll tell you, okay? I have idiosyncrasies, I have challenges, and she is a blessing to me. She is a helpmate, and she honors me. But the thing I love most about her, she honors me because she reveres Christ first and foremost. She respects me because that's what Christ has called her to do. And she is a beautiful picture of what a bride is. And I'm so thankful for her. Husbands, what... What is your role? Well, your role is the picture of Christ. So get this, your wife is a picture of the church. You're a picture of of Jesus. Which then you have to ask yourself, well, okay, why is my wife struggling to submit to me? It's one of two reasons. Make it super simple. Guys, y'all ought to probably be writing this, okay? Hold on, look at me. Write this down. Why does your wife struggle to follow you, to come under? It's one of two reasons. One could be her fault, and one could be yours. Her fault if she's not following Christ. Because if she's not following Christ, she won't follow you. Doesn't matter how good of a man you are. Doesn't, how, doesn't matter how well you lead. Make sense? The second is, she's following Christ, but you're not. And therefore, you're not leading in a way that's helpful. Both can be challenges in your marriage. Both are rather profound. So husbands, how do you love your wife? Listen, the key is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. It is a daily death. I mean, it's a daily death. When you say daily death, Brandon, what do you mean? It means that you know how to care for your own body, don't you? I mean, how many of you guys, like you are already, you're like, okay, I know what I had for breakfast. It wasn't that. You're like, you already got zoned in what you want for breakfast, uh, for, for lunch, right? Like you already know what you want. And not only that, you're also like, and I know what I'm having for Sunday night dinner before I start my meal plan tomorrow, right? Men, we're wired that way. Like we're constantly thinking about like, hey, what's next? How am I going to serve myself? But a life of sacrifice says, how am I going to serve someone else? And that's really what Christ is calling us as men to be. It's to outserve our wife in a very practical sense. It's to serve her. So you have a long day at work and you have the expectation that she is to serve you. Well, flip it on its head. The expectation is that you're to partner in serving her. When's the last time you cooked dinner? 
When's the last time that you made her a glass of tea? When's the last time you rubbed her feet? When's the last time that you said, hey, I just want to serve you? That's a challenge, right? It's even more of a challenge if you're in kind of that stage right now where you got littles at home. How many of y'all, y'all got littles at home? Anybody? Oh, man, bless your heart. Husbands, how do you serve? Listen, you prepare bottles as much as they prepare bottles. If there's no bottles, then you're there. I mean, you're, you're serving. That means that you're changing as many diapers as anyone else is in the house. It means that you are dropping kids off at school, even though traffic around these places and schools is just like, it's a death in itself, right? But it's just, it's a life of service. It's sacrifice. It is imitating the very thing when Jesus said, I didn't come to be served to give my life in service. That is the key. And what's incredible is when you look at Jesus and you look about his death on the cross, ultimately that's what it was. But you never saw in the scriptures Jesus commanding people to do something for him. You, You never saw Jesus in some ways, elevating himself, but you saw him flipping every earthly model on his head in a way that as you think about serving your spouse, you ask this question, what does it look like not to be first, but to be last? Because we know that the last in the kingdom of God will be first. And friends, I can just tell you that in my own life, practically speaking, I am selfish, I am self-seeking, And I have absolutely no problem putting myself first. But to be sacrificial is a very big daily challenge for me. And it is something that I have to have the help of Christ to accomplish. But it looks like sacrificial service, nourishing and cherishing. But even more than that, it's ultimately displayed there in Ephesians 5 best. It is a call to sanctification. It is leading your wife towards holiness. It is helping them become blameless and pure. It is encouraging them not to do things that would not honor Christ, but would honor you. But in everything, honor Christ. See, that's what I want you to realize. And when you look at the directive of marriage, it's talking about submission and service. But if you look at the design of marriage, let me put it for you on the screen. Here's what the design of marriage is. It is sanctification through submission and service. The goal in all of it, submission and service, all of it, pointing to how do I make you more like our Savior? How do I serve you in such a way that you're more like Jesus this week than you were last week? That's the goal of marriage. And then you look at me and you go, Brandon, that is impossible. The expectations, the demands, they're too high. And I would just say, in your own strength, you're right. But as you submit to Christ and daily abide in his word, it is possible. At the end of the day, all of this is made possible when we see very clearly in verse 26 through the water of the word. It's bathing ourselves in the word of God that leads to a life of submission and sacrifice, which then does this. It doesn't just give us a, a design of marriage, but it leads to the display of marriage. And you might wonder, well, what is actually the display of marriage? Well, here it is. It's a mystery, verse 32. It's something that has been hidden for ages, and then Paul says, here it is on display. Here's the mystery. And he uses the word mysterio, which literally means a secret made known. Here's the secret. 
It used to be difficult. It used to be extremely hard to wrap your head around. But here it is. The mystery is made known. And it is profound, he says. The mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. At the end of the day, your marriage is a display of the gospel. The reason that Christ calls our marriages to be glue that lasts forever, that man should not separate, is because it is a picture of Christ and his covenant purposes to you and I, the church. Though no matter how much of an adulterer you and I are to God, even though we blaspheme the Holy Spirit and we, we lie, to the Holy Spirit, just like Ananias and Sapphira did in Acts chapter 5, and it led to their death. There is one in covenant relationship with us who says, I will not move. I am your anchor, and I am your servant. I have submitted to the Father to serve you. His name is Christ, and we are to be a picture of that. Why? Because it displays to the world that while there is such chaos and confusion, that in marriage and in the church there can be genuine order. While the world fights about all of these things called equality, the greatest equality that you could see is in marriage. Why? Because it is two diverse people with different roles and distinctions submitting themselves equality with subjection, rank, and order. Why? Because that's how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit did it. And Paul says, and you do it in your marriage, and it displays to the world something in the midst of confusion that blesses others. Which means you may not realize how much your marriage is on display until your kiddos have friends over and you are a delight and a safe place for your friend's kiddos. Or your, your kids' friends as they come into your house. You just need to know that your marriage is always on display. Why? Because it is indeed a picture of the gospel. It is the good news to a world that needs good news. And the reason I start with this text is because over the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how we keep this as a priority. Friends, I don't know about you, but I would imagine this message is as much for me as it is anyone in this room. Do you know that it's easy for me to put my marriage up in the closet like I did that helicopter. Bring it down every now and then, look at it, make a couple observations, and then go, you know what, I'll fix it later. I'll get around to it sometime. I will. And it just doesn't need to be that way. And I just encourage you over the next handful of weeks to lean in. Why? Because I believe that your marriage is to be a display. And you say, well, it's broken. It's in the past. Listen, God's a God of redemption and restoration. Trust Him in that. At the end of the day, regardless of what your spouse does or does not do, you also have to remind yourself that the directive of marriage is not indicative of your spouse. It's indicative of what God's called you to do. He's either called you to be a life of submission or service. And so how do you do that? Where you are in your role. So regardless of where you are, I believe that over the next few weeks, it will be a blessing to each of you. I would also believe that if you know of a friend that's not here today, that you should bring them next week. Say, hey, you're going with me. I'll buy your lunch afterwards. Because this has a potential 
to change not just your family, but ultimately the world and certainly people around you. And I pray that you would allow it to. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the directive, the design and the display of marriage. Lord, thank you that this mystery is not just about marriage, but it's about the church. It's about who you made the church to be. Submitting in glad service to you as our king. And Lord, as we do that within the church, I pray that we are not foolish to believe that it's only for the inner walls of the building. But Lord, it's for the outer walls of our family. And I pray that you would help us to live a life of submission and service that brings about sanctification and genuine change in our lives so that we display the very God in whom we sing to and claim to love. Lord, we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.